0: We are joined to start the program off by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, good morning.
1: Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing?
0: I'm well, thank you. Happy Easter to you, sir. Same to you. Um, Let's let's start off. um, One of, for for six years, when Republicans were out of power, everybody talked about the need to repeal and replace Obamacare. So far, health care appears to be on the beach. Tax reform huge issue that Republicans talked about. Paul Ryan is out with a plan which would essentially impose a a 20% tax on imports in order to justify corporate tax relief. You've been quoted as essentially saying you're very skeptical and it's probably going nowhere in the Senate. Where do you stand on tax reform and what do we need to be doing?
1: Well, from my standpoint, uh, I'm just reporting certainly what I'm hearing inside the sure. Republican conference in the Senate, and I don't think the border adjustment tax has a chance of passage. And, you know, it, it is way more complex. There's going to be an awful lot of micro damage. You know, I I've both, I primarily exported products uh, during my 31 years of manufacturing, but I also imported. You know, setting up a global supply chain is not easy, and there's going to be an awful lot of micro damage, I believe, done by – You know, this border adjustment tax, and, you know, it's all predicated in the fact that currency would uh, appreciate by 25%. Well, the world's not that perfect, and you're kind of sanitizing the effect if you're trying to boost exports when you appreciate your currency. So I I just don't believe it has a chance of passage. I think there's a better approach, and, you know, I've I've, uh, been floating one, uh, two two main elements to it. The first one is uh, I've, I've been there for six years. I've had people come into my office uh, begging for tax reform, lower the rates from the base as long as you don't eliminate, you know, name your preference. You know, So state and local taxes, uh, mortgage deduction, LIFO, I mean, the tax code is so inbred. And there's so many constituencies for each tax preference. So, you know, I recognize that reality. And my, my first suggestion would be, fine, if you like complying with this 70,000-page mess, be my guest, or... You can choose an elegantly simple tax system based on cash, uh, much lower rates because you get rid of all the junk, you stop socially and, and economically engineering through the tax code, but you make it optional. We already have an alternate calculation. It's called the AMT, but it's mandatory. This would be optional. That's, so that's the first element. And we we talk about tax, and again, you should be talking about tax simplification, I think, is a better term, which would direct our efforts. Then secondly... You know, in terms of the corporate tax, uh, there are numerous studies that show that it's the employees and consumers pay the corporate tax. It's a self-inflicted wound. So my suggestion is, rather than making employees and consumers pay the corporate tax, why don't we make the owners pay the tax? So this would be a true Warren Buffett tax. And by the way, it, it maybe sounds radical on C corps, but 81% of American businesses currently are taxed exactly like that. They're called pass-through entities, subchapter S LLCs. And the, the income is attributed to the owners, and the owners pay at their individual rates. I'm having this tax plan scored as we speak. I'm hoping to get the results. Uh, I'd like to get them today, but hopefully early next week. And there's so many things you can, you know, dials you can tweak to try and make this thing as revenue-neutral as possible, but it would be incredibly pro-growth for a host of reasons. You end the double taxation of dividends. You get more efficient allocation uh, of capital throughout the economy. Uh, it en- would be... Uh, Cash-based immediate expensing, which is the the number one pro-growth element of any kind of tax reform and tax simplification. So, you know, there, there's an alternate uh, approach out here. Uh, and again, I just I do not see because of retailers, because of the people that really would uh, have a lot of skepticism, a lot of skepticism, and you know, quite honestly, be pretty disruptive to the business models. I, I just don't see the border adjustment tax uh, flying in the Senate.
0: Senator, l- let's talk about the, the realities. I. I... The, the sense I get is that, as you can talk about, it's a very very complicated issue, and you have all sorts of people that have all sorts of different special interests, and everybody you know has their own ox that's you know to be gored. And they're looking out for themselves. It... Are we going to get anything done? I mean, is it in, in reality, it seems like all everybody's got like different plans. And, of course, I understand where, where there was gridlock when you had Republicans ho- con- having control of the Senate and the House and a Democratic president. But now with Republican control, it seems like there's still gridlock because everybody's got different ideas.
1: Well, it is complex. But, again, Jeff, that, that's why I'm trying to put forward a tax proposal that would actually sell. You, c- you can market this one. This, this, mm-hmm. this is pretty, you know, in the end, Tax simplification, there's nothing simple about it because it is complex. But, you know, my main elements make a very simple system optional. Who who could be opposed to that, quite honestly? If you get to keep the old tax system, fine, comply with that. Or you can choose a simple system and then make the owners pay the corporate tax. You're not eliminating taxing corporate income. You're just assessing it at the right level, not, not with the employees and consumers. You're making the owners pay it. Like I say, a true Warren Buffett tax, Democrats have been screaming for a Warren Buffett tax ever since I've been there. So, again, I'm actually trying to come up with a tax proposal that makes sense, really pro-growth, but also sells politically.
0: Um, to that end, Senator, let, let's, let's switch gears. Let's talk about health care for a minute. Um, Highly publicized failure of the House to get a health care reform proposal through. They couldn't get the conservative Republicans to go along with them. But a lot of the reports said that even if something had passed in the House a couple weeks ago, that probably was not going anywhere in the Senate. Where do we stand with health care reform? Is something going to get done this year?
1: Jeff, you may recall I came under a lot of criticism from the right flank, when uh, after Obamacare was implemented, I started talking about, yeah, I know repeal and replace sounds like a good slogan, but once implemented, uh, you're probably better off talking about repairing the damage done by Obamacare and transitioning to something that works. Now, I got criticized for, you know, talking about fixing Obamacare. I was just recognizing the reality. that a 380,000-word bill over seven years of implementation had morphed into 20 million words of rules and regulations infiltrating every nook and cranny of our health insurance and health care markets. So it wasn't so simple as quit coming up with a bill to repeal and replace it, and I think the the problem that the House bill came up against was the fact that it wasn't focused on repairing the damage done by Obamacare, which was primarily skyrocketing premiums on the individual market. That was left for Bucket Two. But again, you're, there are good there are good elements of the House bill. The fact that we are going to turn Medicaid management over to the states is a good thing. But it didn't. It just ignored the damage done to real people. Uh, like in Wisconsin, where premiums literally have doubled and tripled on the individual market, uh, the fact that the networks have narrowed and people have lost access to the doctors they know and trusted, so it just took its eye off the ball of repairing that damage first and foremost. And if you do that, by the way, if if you actually do reduce premiums on the individual market, now you've got a, a way of going back to the American public and say, "This is we're going to reduce subsidies because we've reduced premiums, and you don't need all those subsidies because we've actually brought insurance costs under control." And, of course, what we really need to do is control health care costs. Mm-hmm. And, again, I, I would argue there are certainly elements in the House bill that did that with the improved access to HSAs and that type of thing. But, it just, again, it, it, they just didn't sell it properly because they, they didn't focus on repairing the damage, the thing that primarily upset the American public, which was those skyrocketing premiums.
0: Senator, are we going to get something done by the end of the year, do you think, or is this going to be something that's going to be going on um, for a couple of years?
1: I, I think we have to because... Well, Obamacare is currently constituted these individual uh, premiums. You know, these individual markets are collapsing. They just are. You're seeing insurance companies pulling out. Uh, you know, I think one of the real shame and not being able to do something quickly is insurance companies need to be setting rates for 2018. And they, again, they're they're in a flux. They're not exactly sure what's going to be pulling off here. So, I think Tom Price, as Secretary of HHS, has, has got to within his regulatory authority do those things he was talking about in terms of bucket two, try and stabilize the markets. But again, if if we focus on what we need to do to bring down premiums, which starts, Jeff, with understanding what what in Obamacare caused premiums to double and triple. Well, it starts out with guaranteed issue. The good news is you can cover pre-existing conditions without collapsing markets. Maine did it with uh, invisible higher-risk pools. Wisconsin had a high risk pool that was very effective. You just need to make a couple tweaks in it. So we can't be afraid of dealing... With these issues, I know it's really popular to cover pre-existing conditions, but the way they did in Obamacare it literally collapses markets. We need to be honest about that, honestly assess the root cause of these premiums doubling and tripling, address it in legislation and regulation, and then I think you have the confidence of the American public as you continue to work with the transitioning to a healthcare system that actually works. But no, I think we have to address it this year. Uh, We owe to the American public.
0: We're talking to United States Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, scary times in the world. Uh, North Korea, saber-rattling. They're talking about uh, maybe another nuclear test that is coming. Pentagon is saying, okay, maybe we're going to have a first strike. What's going on in North Korea, and what should our response be?
1: Well, North Korea has been a growing threat for decades, and nobody has been able to effectively deal with them because China hasn't been involved. I think uh, what uh, action President Trump took last week and this week, uh, the, the swift and rapid response to the use of chemical weapons in Syria, uh, the use of uh, the, the largest non-nuclear bomb in our arsenal in Afghanistan to defeat uh, to uh, address the, the growing threat of ISIS in Afghanistan, I think world leaders are paying attention. And, you know, certainly from my standpoint, uh, one of the best articles written on the problems in North Korea is by Press Stevens, who basically proposed that what Trump ought to do is pressure China by saying, listen, you either change the regime to some to a regime that you like, or we're going to do it for you. And it kind of seems like that's uh, the approach they're taking. But there are no good solutions. Uh, a military strike is fraught with just horrific uh, dangers. Um, but we certainly need to, you know, strengthen our military, strengthen our our uh, missile defense systems, which under the last administration I think was really largely neglected. But I think just that this, this show of strength out of this administration. Uh, let's face it, the, the, the show of unpredictability has certainly gotten world leaders' attentions, and hopefully it's gotten the attention of President Xi, and he'll do something because they have the greatest influence over over North Korea.
0: Senator, I assume from your comments that you support the, uh, the, uh, the, the missile strike in Syria last week.
1: Absolutely. It's exactly what Obama should have done first time, which was my counsel to Samantha Powers when she called me about uh, the use of chemical weapons. I said, have the President act now. You will have my support. Don't have him wait. Uh, you know, I, I, any, any further action Syria does need to come before Congress, but not a swift, you know, message strike like that. And of course, President Obama didn't act swiftly; he dithered. They moved their assets. By the time he finally came to Congress, by the time we finally debated it, there was no strategy, there's no game plan, there's no reason really to strike. And so, you can't let those moments pass. President Trump did not.
0: Senator Johnson, one final area before I let you go. Um, Senate changed its rules to allow a straight up or down vote for the confirmation of Supreme Court justices. As you predicted, Neil Gorsuch was confirmed. Um, has this caused lasting damage to the, the, the deliberative process of the Senate?
1: It's hard to say. You know, we didn't really change the rules. Harry Reid did that. He, he changed the precedent where you can change the rules of the Senate with just 51 votes. Prior to that, it always took two-thirds of the body, 67 votes. Harry Reid was the one that employed the nuclear option, changed that precedent. We just used that same precedent. So now that's the precedent. You can change the rules of the Senate with 51 votes, which makes it, uh, you know, interesting, to, to say the least. So now, you know, from my standpoint, long term, because Harry Reid did that damage to the institution, we're pretty much a majority-run uh, body, and I, I can't predict the way it's going to go. I know the 60-vote threshold has stopped a lot of bad legislation from being passed, but it's also stopped our ability to start reining in the, the intrusive federal government as well. So I can't really predict it. I know other states, they've got uh, different, uh, you know, two, two chambers in their, in their legislature, and they have a majority rule in both of those. So I can't really predict, uh, you know, how this is all going to play out. But I know Harry Reid is the one to change the rules.
0: So if I'm hearing you, you're, you're saying at least it's possible the filibuster might be done, period.
1: Well, you know, right now the Democrats are saying they would never do it. You know, they, 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 there's a letter st- circulated by Susan Collins that uh, committed that both Democrats and Republicans. I think she got close to 40 signatures saying, "Oh, we'll never change 60 votes on on, fil- on legislation filibuster." You now, m- my guess is Republicans would hold to that commitment. My guess is Democrats would would, uh, you know, end that commitment as soon as they got a majority. So, no, I, I you know, I, I think I think the Senate now is a majority-run body.
0: Senator Johnson, thank you very so very much for spending some time with me this morning. I appreciate it. You have a very nice Easter, sir.
1: You too. Take care.
0: Okay, thank you. That's uh, Senator Ron Johnson talking about health care reform and tax reform and North Korea and Syria and the filibuster. It's 849. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 853. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Here's the upshot from our our, our conversation with, with Senator Johnson, and it's, it's one of the things... ...that Republicans need to be mindful of, and I admit it is one of the things that I find to be frustrating. For years and years, Republicans campaigned on the need to make changes. Health care reform, the Obamacare system is busted, it needs to be fixed. You heard a lot of the talk about repeal and replace, maybe not necessarily from Senator Johnson, but, but it needs to be fixed. The tax system needs to be fixed. And there, there's no question it, it, it is. And I agree with Senator Johnson. The tax code right now is a complete and total mess with the thousands and thousands of pages and things like that. You, you need to go to a simpler, I think arguably fairer sort of system. So I understand all that. So now you have a Republican president. Now you have Republicans who have overwhelming control of the House of Representatives and continue to maintain control of the U.S. Senate. And I admit it is frustrating to me that we're still not getting stuff done. You have you, I I don't know whether the health care reform idea that was going through the House was the right idea or not, but but you couldn't get it done. You know, you have now a circular firing squad with Republicans who can't reach an agreement. So now you've got gridlock, because it's com- but it's becoming because part of the Republicans. And then even if something had gotten out of the House, you certainly get the idea that once it got over to the U.S. Senate, it wasn't going anywhere. Everybody's got an idea, but there, there has to be some form of consensus. And what is frustrating is I don't know that I see consensus. The same sort of thing is happening with tax reform. And again, I don't claim to be a smart enough economist to be able to figure out exactly what the right idea is. The idea that Paul Ryan is pushing is an import tax. 20% tax on importers, no tax on exporters. The money generated from that would then fund tax relief. Okay, so that, that's the idea. If you're gonna give tax relief to people, where's the money gonna come from? What's gonna be from this import tax? You heard Senator Johnson say that, you know, his sense of the Senate is that that idea is a non-starter. He's got serious reservations. He's got an idea of the alternate system. Again, I don't know what the best way is. But it is frustrating to me that after all this time, you, again, it's, it's almost, the divisions in the Republican Party are, are so great. Everybody's got these different ideas that you wonder whether we're going to have gridlock because even though even though now the voters have given the keys to the Ferrari, to the Republicans, that the Republicans can't agree. And I, the one time, the one way I think that there will be huge fallout in the midterm elections is if we're still spinning our wheels on these important issues a year from now. And I have to tell you, I am concerned that there is no consensus coming out of Washington. Everybody's got their ideas on tax reform. Everybody's got their ideas on health care reform. All right, that's great, but there's not a consensus. And if there's not a consensus, nothing gets done, and that is not why Republicans were sent to Washington. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, big thing number two, the U.S. drops the mother of all bombs on ISIS. Are we escalating conflicts? And Donald Trump still being called upon to release his tax returns. We'll discuss all that. It's eight fifty six. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Baseball is back, and Jeff
1: Wagner is giving you a chance to be in the stands at an upcoming road game. Grab that phone now to
2: win a four-pack of tickets and qualify for a grand prize getaway to see the Brewers take on a division rival. It's Jeff Wagner's Follow the Brewers, sponsored by West Bend, The Silver Lining, Noodles & Company, and the home of the Brewers. 620 WTMJ.
0: It nine ten. That means it is that time for your chance to follow the Brewers. Caller number 20 to 414-799-1620. Caller 20 wins a four-pack of tickets to see a home game between the Brewers and the Cardinals later on this month. The winner also is going to be our daily qualifier. Sometime later this morning, we are going to draw... One of the We're going to draw a name from one of our five daily qualifiers this week, and that person will be our weekly grand prize winner. They will win a chance to follow the Brewers down to Chicago for the Brewers-Cubs game on May 20th. It is Follow the Brewers, sponsored by West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles and & Company, and the home of the Brewers on 620 WTMJ. So caller 20 will be our daily winner of the four-pack of tickets. And then, like I say, later on this morning, we will randomly draw one of the five daily winners and they will win our grand prize for the week. Keep listening because we're going to give you an opportunity to follow the brewers at least for the next several weeks courtesy again of our friends at West Bend the Silver Lining and Noodles and Company and uh, I tell you Following the Brewers on the road this year—that's a great way to be. Um, opening home stand. There were a lot of the naysayers. Oh, this team isn't going to be that good. They were two and five. Hey, they go on the road. They win both games in Toronto. Uh, and both well played games—four to three, two to nothing—and then yesterday they go and Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati has gotten off to a hot start. They've always uh, Brewers have always struggled a little bit in the Cincinnati uh, stadium, and this had a great game yesterday, winning five to one. Very solid, good pitching and all. So, man, um, yeah, very very exciting. So you've got the Brewers now back to five hundred, five and five, three wins on the row on the road in a row. Doesn't get much better than that, and your chance again to follow the Brewers. We're going to be doing this for the next several weeks as well. So keep listening. At no- approximately nine ten, every morning for your chance to qualify. All right. Um, we will. By the way, the, of course, the breaking news story this morning is that, thankfully, without incidents, um, authorities have arrested uh, the subject of the manhunt: uh, this Joseph A. Jakubowski, who's been wanted for you know several days and a lot of. A lot of the communities in southeastern Wisconsin, south-central Wisconsin, very, very alarmed. Um, Schools have been on lockdown because of this. There were some suggestions that this guy was not going to be taken alive, and there were very, very real concerns. So the very good news is that law enforcement has now taken him into custody. Um, They arrested him camping at a location near Reedstown, Wisconsin. Apparently, um, somebody saw him or somebody that saw him, a person that matched his description. He refused to leave where he'd been camping. Local authorities established a perimeter, and ultimately, um, shortly before 6 a.m. this morning, tactical officers made contact with him, and he was taken into custody without incident. So all's well that ends well. There will be a press conference later on this afternoon. I think it's going to be 2 o'clock. We will carry it live. And and there are, of course, a, a number of questions Perhaps most, and I'm not sure that they're going to be able to answer them, over, during this press conference, I mean, but I think the, the biggest question is how did the guy spend his time at, as a fugitive? Where has he been over the last several days? Was he the one that was responsible for sending some of these various threatening letters that were out there, or were they just copycats? So that, that's all stuff that I think will, will come out in due time. Maybe some of it will come out later this morning. Maybe some of it will come out at the press conference. But the, the good news story for the moment is that uh, the fugitive has been taken into custody. It was without incident. Um, Everyone is safe, and that is very, very good news heading into the Easter weekend. When we come back, in just a couple minutes, I want to talk about North Korea. It's a tough thing to discuss on, on Good Friday going into Easter weekend, but the world is on a precipice, and we have to decide what should the United States do when dealing with some of these rogue nations. and candidly, the ball is now in President Trump's court. We discuss. It's 9:14. This is Jeff Wagner, 6:20, WTMJ. It's 9:17. Jeff Wagner, 6:20. WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. big story number two: North Korea, one of the world's hot spots, gets even hotter. Um, There are certain parts of the world that, well, cause a disproportionate sense of concern to everyone else. Syria is, of course, one of those issues. We've talked a lot about Syria over the course of the last week. North Korea is another one. North Korea is, of course, a, a small country. It is a dictatorship that's really essentially in the stone ages and has been for the longest time. They're isolated in the international world with the exception of their ties to China. And yet there's all this saber rattling that is done. Well, the reports are that North Korea is planning for, well, its sixth nuclear weapons detonation. So they're, they're planning another nuclear weapons test. And if you will recall, the, the president of North Korea, who's nothing but a dictator, ha- has I mean been saber-rattling for the longest time. If the United States does anything, I'm going to destroy the United States, or more likely, um, we're going to launch an attack to the extent they have the capability against South Korea, which has, of course, been a U.S. ally for, for however long. The only thing really propping up the North Korean regime is China. And China has always been, I think quite candidly, you know, if it were not for the Chinese involvement or the fear of Chinese involvement or the ties between North Korea and China, I think the world in general would have had enough of North Korea a long time ago and would have brought about some form of regime change. But after after the Tomahawk missile attack in Syria, after the fact that we dropped the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan yesterday, now... The speculation is that if the U.S. receives firm intelligence that North Korea is going to go ahead and use another, do another nuclear test, uh, the United States may be looking at preemptive military attacks. That is bombing, or whatever, to diminish the capability of them to do that. North Korea has been the subject of talks between President Trump and China. You know, there's been meetings and. Back channel, what they're apparently trying to do is work out an arrangement, because again, North Korea does what China tells them to do. They're trying to work out an arrangement where, you know, China gets on board, and my understanding is that China has now sent representatives to North Korea telling them, or trying to talk them and appreciate the significance of what would happen and deter them from engaging in another nuclear test. Whether that works or not is very much up in the air. So here is the issue which faces the Trump administration and the military and the United States right now. Obviously, diplomacy, you you, you can't negotiate with North Korea. You you cannot negotiate with North Korea. There is a madman that runs the country. What you can do is try to use diplomacy, work out arrangements, partner with China, and get China to essentially tell North Korea, knock this stuff off. And that is obviously the preferred remedy. That is what they are trying to do. But, and this is a huge but, if that doesn't work, if for whatever reason North Korea decides it doesn't want to listen to China, and they want to go ahead and they want to run yet another nuclear test, then the issue becomes, what does the United States do? Does the United States launch a preemptive strike? to prevent this or to, again, send a message that this is not going to be tolerated, like we sent the message last week in Syria, or do you let this go? If you launch a preemptive strike, you, of course, run the risk of escalating tensions in an already tense area, and the North Korean dictator is already saber-rattling, you know, if you do this, we're, we're coming after the United States, more likely they're coming after South Korea. 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Everybody, I think, should agree that diplomacy, trying to work out an arrangement with China, to get China to use its leverage to make North Korea back down, that's the preferred option. But, if China is not successful in that, the question becomes, what does President Trump do do we risk escalating tensions even more in the area by launching a preemptive strike can you let North Korea detonate or try to detonate another nuclear bomb 4147991620 that's the accident mortgage toll and talk talk and text line my take on this you it's time once and for all to show North Korea that the world is not going to be pushed around and while i think a preemptive strike has to be the last option if it becomes clear that they're going to be using or trying to detonate nuclear weapons, you, you've got to move in and stop them. 414-799-1620, that's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 925 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ let's start with Chuck in Milwaukee Chuck good morning good morning
3: Jeff well unfortunately we have no choice but to uh, fight North Korea now if people are worried that North Korea is developing a nuclear program and the goofball says that he wants to develop an ICBM so he can wipe out LA isn't that like a declaration of war
0: well it it is and that's the concern. Now of course the, the fear though, Chuck, is that if you if you launch a strike against North Korea, what that's going to provoke him to do is to, I don't know, invade South Korea and then we're back where we were sixty years ago or however many you know, sixty five years ago with another Korean conflict. So is it worth the risk?
3: Well, is it, It's absolutely worth the risk. I mean, uh, remember, before the Second World War, the Allies fiddled around with Mr. Hitler. They went and made a deal with him to have yeah. peace in our time. It didn't work. Unfortunately, crazy aggressors who threaten you are not going to go away. And then after we take care of North Korea, what are we going to do about Iran?
0: Well, one. They
2: said
3: I, that they want to develop a nuclear program so they can wipe out Israel and Europe and the U.S.
0: Well, I mean, I mean, I see. I, I agree. This, this, one of the, this is again. I, I've been saying this for the last week or so. This, one of the frustrating things is that you know the United Nations is so absolutely toothless and powerless. It is an absolute joke that the United States becomes the one with the responsibility for doing this. But yeah, you've got a crazy despot who is, you know, trying to develop a nuclear weapons capability and who, like you say, is saber-rattling to the point that he's saying that he's willing to do this. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be the U.S. having to act unilaterally, but unfortunately, unfortunately, that's what it has come to. Russia you know russia saying and of course russia is a supporter of north korea as well not as much as china is but you know russia saying okay we don't do what you did in syria well all right at some point in time i think you have to what we learned is during the obama administration that they tried diplomacy you cannot make deals with dictators you just can't make deals with dictators you can try to force their hand through again you, you try to ask China to get involved, and I, I do. It does sound like the relationships between President Trump and the Chinese government are, are okay? Russia, you know, who, who knows? But if that stuff fails, you can't allow some crazy person to keep setting off uh, n- running nuclear tests. Now, of course, you have to be sure that you've got the evidence indicating that he is prepared to do that. Jerry and Appleton, Jerry, you're on six hundred and twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Oh, good
4: morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. I think this is probably how it's playing out. I, you know, and uh, we need, uh, need to go the diplomatic route with China, and I think that's all pretty well well underway, uh, assuming that the, Ch- the Chinese can convince them to, you know. But if they can't, okay, uh, I think then probably what will end up happening is we'll we'll make, you know, with the, with talks with the China saying, hey, this is nothing, you know, just we're going right. to do what we got to do here, and 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 hit that capacity, and then if North Korea wants to go on and attack Seoul, I guess that's their the balls in their court. If they want to do that, then we're then we're in a major confrontation, obviously, and, and maybe maybe this is where you hit that point where people have been saying, I wonder when North and South Korea are going to be united as one country. That could be it.
0: <laughs> do you think China will sit by the sidelines? I mean, do you think China if if their efforts at diplomacy fail, and if if they go to North Korea and say, Knock this off and North Korea doesn't pay attention, um, and the US decides it has to make a surgical strike or something like that does that risk world war 3 or do you think china will back off
4: I've think china would 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 back off but uh you know it's hard to say i mean nobody can know that for sure but i think i think china will certainly want to diplomatically try to sure. get north korea to back off they don't want that now if that fails and then they have to make a choice if it gets to be a bigger issue that that's kind of hard to call but i i think uh, i think china would uh, stay out of it
0: yeah i i think so i mean i i do i do as well i mean i've i've been you know, who knows exactly you know what goes on and what the machinations are I mean a lot of the stuff I've been seeing it leads me to believe that I think China is tired of the North Korean act as well and that, that China wants to be mainstream in the world and I think recognizing that recognizes that I mean supporting this this dictator in this country which is essentially kind of like a Stone Age country that has access or is trying to develop access to nuclear weapons, that's not necessarily the side that you want to be on. Now, what China is telling President Trump is that there's just limits to the diplomacy, that they might not have as much impact, their input. Um, they might not be able to make North Korea listen as much as everybody thinks they can. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I, I do know that... You know, it's time for the United States, within reason, to start standing up and saying, all right, we're not going to allow world peace to be put in jeopardy by a handful of regimes that don't have the impulse control of a fruit fly. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hear the hometown call as the Bucks battle the Raptors in Toronto as part of WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party. Join us tomorrow at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners as we cheer on our hometown team with the hometown radio call of Ted Davis echoing throughout the tavern. There's no better way to watch and listen to the Bucks beat the Raptors in Toronto, plus win some great prizes throughout the game. It's WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners tomorrow at 4.30, sponsored by Lincoln Contractors Supply and Rhino Shield. All right. If with all the stuff going on, you have forgotten, tomorrow is April 15th. April 15th is Tax Day, So I assume that means you get until Monday I didn't check this out because I got my taxes in actually this is the first year that I had uh, I used to do them myself and this year they're a little bit complicated so somebody else took care of them for me and candidly it was um, it was very very nice thank you Laura so but April 15th is of course tax day and if if there is an event, it is another excuse to go out and protest Donald Trump. Here is the story. Um, apparently, there there plans to be a large demonstration, a hundred affiliated protests planned across the country Saturday. Thousands of people, in connection with Tax Day, will be calling on Donald Trump to release his personal income taxes. Of course, during the campaign, uh, then candidate Trump said that he would release his personal income taxes when audits were completed he said I'm under audit right now and as everybody knows that means I, I can't make them public well that's that's not true just because you're being audited doesn't mean that you can't make your tax returns public every presidential candidate um, and every president going back to uh, Richard Nixon has made their tax returns public Donald Trump has refused to do that thus far and um, Now, Trump is saying that he's become president, that that he has no intention of making his tax returns public, and as a matter of fact, there was an interesting story in USA Today yesterday which says that, by law, um, if you are, the president's tax returns are automatically audited by the IRS. There's really, it was an interesting story, and I guess I didn't realize this, Um, apparently, the fact that you are president—it's an obscure Internal Revenue Service rule—the tax returns of the vice president and the president are automatically audited each year, no exceptions. So the effect of this is that, um, as a practical matter, he's always going to be—he's going to be perpetually under audit. So he's already said he's not releasing his tax returns. Thousands of people are going to be protesting across the country. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage uh, Talk and Text line. All right, look, I, I think it would be good for President Trump to release his taxes. I mean, I, I think it, it is. I think it's a good thing for presidents to do because they dispel you know any questions about conflicts of interest or things like that. Having said that on a scale of 1 to 100 and i understand this is donald trump and people are always looking at excuses to protest my my belief is people really don't care about this i mean if if you don't like donald trump the fact that he release if he were to release Every other year of his tax returns, you know going back to you know the time he would first filed a tax return, it wouldn't satisfy anybody it wouldn't make people happy if you don 't like donald trump you 're still not going to like him. I think this entire tax return issue is a red herring, and while I think it would probably be good for him to do it i don 't think in general that people care, and I certainly don't think that it is going to hurt him. If he continues to refuse to release them, which apparently he is going to do, 414-799-1620, 800 uh, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think his refusal to release his tax returns are a big deal at all, and thousands of people can go protest tomorrow, but you know what? Those people would be trying to find something to protest anyways. What do you think? Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ.
1: Hey,
5: good morning, Jeff. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that uh, if he releases his tax reform or tax statements or whatever, sure it would uh, clarify some issues or whatever. But it wouldn't please everybody or anybody. It wouldn't please anybody uh, if, if, you're you know, if
0: you're a Trump hater. If you're a Trump hater, it wouldn't please anybody. Yeah.
5: Right. So why should he get under the microscope for us? You know, for other stuff that uh,
6: matters to nothing, really.
0: Well, you know, it was interesting when when MSNBC had this big, like, non-story story story where they'd gotten a hold of the first two pages of, what is, 1995 tax returns, and then they released them, and it showed he paid all these taxes. Even then, you know, of course, you had some of the critics were saying, well, see, he was subject to the alternative minimum tax, and he wants to get rid of the AMT, and and that would have saved him all this money. No matter what the guy does, you know he's going to be criticized from the people that hate him, so why bother, I guess, huh? Uh,
5: Absolutely. I wouldn't do it.
0: Uh, no, thanks. Well, it, it's not going to advance the story any, because like I say, the people that don't like him, they are going to continue to not like him. Now, I do, look, I, I understand that there is an historical precedent behind this. Um, my guess is, and I've said this before, my guess is the reason he's not releasing his tax returns is that there are some years where he has paid very little in federal income tax simply because of either deductions or carry-forwards or or whatever, that, that he's probably paid very little in taxes and that might be somewhat embarrassing. So, I mean, I, I understand that. There is no suggestion right now that he has done anything illegal with regard to any of his tax returns. So, at this point in time, while, again, it, it might be a good thing just to put some of this stuff to rest... As far as what we used to call voting issues, as far as things that I I think people really are going to care about, well, I I just don't see this as moving the needle. Paul on the west side. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
4: Good morning,
5: Jeff. Uh, I I think you're kind of missing the boat here because uh, when you look at the, um, the Muslim ban that he put on, which is Muslim or not Muslim, uh, the countries that he left out are the ones who sent uh, the hijackers in the nine uh, eleven problem.
0: Okay, so how do, what and, does this have to do with his taxes? Uh,
5: well, he's got business interests over there, I do believe, in Egypt and uh, Saudi Arabia. I, I'm not positive on that, but I don't know, and nobody else does either.
0: Well, you, but well, but that's not true. You have when when you run for president, there is a you, there's a very detailed asset listing that you have to to file and and he he's done that so you know the the, now i I don't know why do you think what do you think is going to be in the tax returns that aren't necessarily in his conflict of interest statement that he's already filed
5: well that i don't know
0: yeah i guess i mean here's the deal i mean like see we we can speculate on all this type of stuff and i i mean again i don't know i I don't know that the the tax returns are going to shed my goodness i mean Read the New York Times on a daily basis, and, and you've been looking at all all the the detailed looking that they're doing with the interconnected you know network of all the different ty- type of Trump businesses and all. I mean, I candidly and, and look, I mean, I don't want to go through the the conspiracy rabbit hole, but the, the truth of the matter is, I don't think the tax returns. if, If the question is, does the guy have conflicts and business interests and things like that, I don't think the tax returns are going to show anything more than you're already seeing in all the various public filings that are out there in connection with all the different businesses. To me, it's just, this is just something else. Let's go ahead, let's try to criticize Trump, and let's try to say, okay, well, I mean... I mean, really, the tax returns are going to shed some interest on, you know, why some countries were included and why some countries were excluded. In the the travel ban, it's really clear that the countries that were included, the handful of countries that were included, were really countries that are nothing more than regimes, where there's very little vetting of the people who are coming from. I mean, again, I, I understand if you don't like Trump, then it's like, oh, there's gotta be some big smoking gun in the tax returns. I just don't see it. And thousands of people can protest. But like I say, those are those thousands of people that are gonna be protesting tomorrow. There's nothing that Trump could do that would make them happy. If I were him, I would release the tax returns. But at the end of the day, I don't think most people care. What we care about is all right. Are you going to be able to get affordable health care? Are you going to be able to get decent tax return reform? And are we going to stop some of the madmen across the world from using chemical weapons on their own people or testing nuclear bombs? 945 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 949 Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right. We have Snowflake Alert, but before that, you listen to them every football Sunday. And next Wednesday night, April 19th, you get a rare chance to see them live in person. Packers Radio Network, the team, Wayne Larravee and Larry the Rock McCarran, both together sitting down with me during Insight 2017. Do not miss this rare opportunity for some green and gold Insight in person uh, the draft is coming up uh, two weeks from now. Tickets are on sale now online. Get them before they're all gone, WTMJ.com. If you've been waiting to purchase yours, time is running out. We don't want people to be shut out. It's Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee next Wednesday night. All right, this is my latest snowflake alert. Now, by the way, I if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I am a huge fan of, of Chick-fil-A. I mean, you. if you want to talk about a place, a fast food place, that I think does what they do right, it, it's, it's Chick-fil-A. I love the chicken sandwiches and every time you have a Chick-fil-A store that goes into an area, it is a huge success. The owners of Chick-fil-A have very, very strong religious opinions. That's why Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. They're still closed on Sunday, right? Because they just believe that that is a day of rest. Well, that the, the idea that you have a company that is run by people that have strong religious convictions, that scares some people. And it particularly scares some of the snowflakes on college campuses. So here's the latest uh, story. Uh, Duquesne University, which is in Pennsylvania, well, apparently as part of the... Um, the, the, the lunch setup. Uh, they have a lot of different fast-food places that are on campus, not unlike a lot of the campuses around here. UWM, for example, being an example of that. So one of the places, as they're redoing the schedule, one of the places that looks like businesses is going to come in it, is Chick-fil-A. Now Chick-fil-A, is, is a, like I say, the, the food is absolutely great. So they want to put a Chick-fil-A at Duquesne. Here is the story. A gay student group at Duquesne University fears that a proposed Chick-fil-A outpost could wait for it jeopardize the school's safe places. Chick-fil-A has a questionable history of civil rights and human rights said executive board members of some group, you know, whatever. Um, They have asked the student government leaders to pass a resolution or urging the school to reconsider Chick-fil-A as a dining off option for the students at a Pennsylvania Catholic school. This is what they say. We, our group, gay student group, think it's imperative the university chooses to b- do business with organizations that coincide with the university's mission and expectations that they give students regarding diversity and inclusion. So here you have fragile feathers being ruffled because, gee, some of these groups are concerned that oh my goodness gracious Chick-fil-A might set up in the student union, people might decide that gee, I like the sandwiches and I might eat them, and then you might have a handful of the snowflakes that are in college who might be oh my goodness gracious, this is it's it's it, this is a microaggression. The fact that people are eating Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches, oh my goodness gracious, how are they going to handle that? That will that that'll just defeat the whole idea that the university is a safe place, Huh. the president of Duquesne, instead of handling this group of nuts, like the group should have been handled, which would have been to say, are you people for real? I mean, it's it's a chicken sandwich, and if you don't want to buy the chicken sandwich because you, you don't like the fact that um, uh, some of the positions the owners take, then don't buy the chicken sandwich. Otherwise, just start worrying about something that you really should worry about, like maybe getting grades so you can graduate, so you can get a decent job and be a productive citizen. Okay, instead of just simply saying that, the president of the university, and by the way, then adding in, okay, do you realize how crazy this is? The president of the university, instead of saying that, says, we'll look into the concerns of this group. My God, we'll look into the concerns of this group. We're working on gathering student opinions and getting all the facts so we can make the best decision. All right, lesson. Okay, Chick-fil-A does not sell. What's the phrase they use? Hate chicken. They're a rock solid. They are a family-owned cust uh, company. Admittedly, the owners of the company have Christian values. But by the way, last time I checked, this was a Catholic school, for real. This is what these snowflakes are, in fact, concerned about. And instead of just simply saying, stop your whining, move on, now it's, well, we're going to have study groups, and we're going to look at this. It's just chicken, for goodness sakes. And these snowflakes desperately need to get a life. But this is typical, I think, of what is going on on American college campuses now. The war on Chick-fil-A. Oh, my gosh, if we have Chick-fil-A, it, it's it's going to be a microaggression. What What is this going to do to our safe space? Get over it, Snowflake. 955 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 9.58, Jeff Wagner. How did he become the only governor in American history to win a recall election? What was it like to go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump on a presidential debate platform? Governor Scott Walker sits down with me next Wednesday night. You can be there to see it live. It's Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. It is Wednesday night, April 19th. Time is running out. Head to WTMJ.com to buy your tickets today. We've got all sorts of great stuff and maybe some surprises as well. So you want to be there. Hope to see as many people as possible. Tickets are going fast. One final thought on the Chick-fil-A issue. Sue writes, do none of these people see the irony of their statements? They're worried about and talking about inclusion. We want to be more inclusive, and their way of dealing with inclusion is to be exclusionary. Oh my goodness, if you have this Chick-fil-A thing there, if, if if we're selling, you know, Tasty chicken, we, people might be offended and they might need to go into their safe spaces and their stay, safe rooms. Yeah, um, There's a lot of ironies. And instead of just simply saying, you know, just, just shut up and concentrate and work on important things. Worry about what you really need to worry about. All right, we're going to study this. We're going to take a sampling of student opinions. The war on Chick-fil-A in college camp. Whoever thought Chick-fil-A sandwiches could be a microaggression? Amazing. All right, coming up. Blame Canada. First for the trade war over milk. Now for pot. Stick around. It's 1009. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. All right. Blame Canada. Last, uh, Earlier this week, we were talking about the, the fact that Canada has made some protectionist decisions, which are essentially going to have the effect of Forcing some Wisconsin dairies out of business. You've got these dairies that produce this uh, special type of milk that's used to produce cheese and high in protein. It has previously been allowed to be admitted into Canada without tariffs. Canada has now changed its price structuring so it's no longer economically feasible for the people in Canada to import this. And the result is, because of these policies, effectively you've got a lot of dairy farmers in Wisconsin and in New York who, um, unless they can find another market for their products, they've got problems. And, of course, the larger issue is the worldwide glut in dairy products, which is driving price down and making it simply unfeasible for some dairy farmers to stay in business. So you can blame Canada for that. There's something else we either want to play, praise or blame Canada for. All right. Starting July 1st of 2018, so a year and a couple months from now, possession of small amounts of marijuana will be legal throughout the country if legislation which is being pushed by the Canadian government passes. And the, the Prime Minister is in favor of this. Um, The minimum age is 18, so you will be able to smoke dope legally at 18. Um, Some provinces could raise the legal age higher, but 18 is going to be the the standard for this. And then the local provinces, that's kind of like the equivalence of states, will decide how the drug will be sold and distributed. Um, Those under 18, found with small amounts of marijuana, would not face criminal charges. So legalized For 18 and over, decriminalized for under 18. Canada legalized marijuana for some medical uses in 2001. Now, this is going to cause issues because marijuana possession is still illegal in the United States. So, you're in Detroit, you drive over the border to Windsor, for example, you buy some pot... You try to come back through customs or through the through the border with the pot and you know, you could find yourself in trouble. Um, if border agents, again from people coming back from Canada, decide that, okay, now a lot of people are going to be going to Canada to legally buy pot, um, expect longer waits to get back into the country as they become more aggressive in, in searching this. But Canada thinks that this is This is the progressive statement. Um, The prime minister, the Canadian public safety minister, said, no, we think this is a good idea. He says, current laws have been an object failure at keeping minors from using marijuana and keeping organized crime from profiting. So this measure would legalize possession of up to 30 grams of marijuana. It would impose harsher penalties on selling pot to minors. But again, possession of the pot by the miners would not be criminal. Um, It would also implement harsher penalties for driving under the influence. The Prime Minister, um, this is Justin Trudeau and his Liberal Party, they back the legislation. They hold a majority of seats in the Canadian Parliament, which means that um, this passage is pretty much all but assured. A lot of the, the leading pot advocates are saying, hey, this is going to be great. And what we're going to see is just a huge... This is going to lead to a huge increase in tourism in Canada because people are going to be flocking to Canada to smoke dope. In the United States, California, Massachusetts, Maine, and Nevada decided last year to approve the use of recreational marijuana, joining Colorado, Oregon, Washington State, Alaska, and Washington, D.C. So the argument is... The tide towards legalized marijuana is just coming in should everybody else get on board. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know you may not agree with me. I am still not convinced at all that legalizing marijuana is the right thing to do. I'm not talking about medical marijuana. I see that as a different issue, but... Should the recreational use of pot be legalized? They're going to do it in Canada, and we've done it in a number of states. Should we follow suit in Wisconsin? I say no, but we'll discuss. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Time to legalize. Potheads of Wisconsin, unite. This is your chance. Should we, in Wisconsin, follow suit with what they are now doing in Canada and what we've done in about 10 states in the country. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1014, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 17, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Canada it is in the process of passing legislation that effective a year from July would legalize possession of pot for everyone over the age of 18 in the country. All right, should we follow suit here? Let's start with Danny in Fox Lake. Danny, good morning.
3: Good
5: morning. Um, Gee, I tell you what, what I told you, screener, is you know, if you're 18 years old and 19 years old, 20 years old, and you got, and you, you, you have uh, given the service to your country and given possibly your life, you should be able to have a beer. You should be able to have a smoke if you'd like. And that's, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is the financial. Canada is pretty smart. Look at what has happened out in Colorado and some of the other states that have legalized it and millions of dollars in taxes that they're gaining. And that's just, you know, that's in my, my opinion.
0: Would you be in favor of legalizing cocaine?
5: You know what? Any adult should be able to make a decision what they put in their body ingest in their body. So that's a yes. I don't, believe, I don't personally believe in it, but you know what? I'm not going to tell somebody else as long as they're not driving, or you know, like like being drunk.
0: So, 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 so that's so it's a yes. So, how about heroin? Do you believe that people over the age of eighteen, if they want to purchase and use heroin, they should be allowed to do that?
5: Well, okay, here again, this is another topic uh, with what's going on with the oxygen now in our area. You know, you got synthetic uh, heroin out there, which a lot of people can get legally. So, you know, when so, they can't get it legally, so your answer, I'm
0: just your answer would be yes that you believe yeah. that heroin. Okay, all right. Thanks, thanks for the call. I mean. I, I understand the libertarian argument that if you're over 18, you should be able to do that. Um, the flip side is anybody who has ever anybody who's ever seen the social cost that comes from the fascination we have in this country with cocaine or crack cocaine or methamphetamine or heroin, um, anybody who's ever seen that could understand why the idea that, well, gee, you should be able to do what you want. Um, th- these are... That, that I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, you can argue that, okay, marijuana is different than cocaine or marijuana is different than heroin. But um, the, the truth of the matter is, I don't think we want to be a junkie nation. And I do firmly believe that if you legalize something, and, and you can argue that the war on drugs hasn't worked. And you can argue that there's a lot of people who smoke pot, and there's a lot of people who do cocaine, and there's a lot of people who use opioids or whatever. There is no question in my mind, though, that if you legalize pot, or you were to legalize cocaine or heroin or whatever, more and more people would be doing that. And I guess my question and my reservation is: do do we really want to do we really want to create a society where you've got more 18-year-olds than do already now that start you know smoking pot? and then either advance to harder drugs or just become potheads. 414-799-1620, um, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Mike in Janesville. Mike, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. What do you think?
7: Uh, um, well, I'm somebody that actually just moved to back to Wisconsin. I spent the last few years in Colorado and sort of saw you know, firsthand um, legalization. And, right. and as that industry got started... and. You know my take is that you know legalizing or not legalizing um, really is a benefit to who gets the money but we haven't you know been able to show that legalizing has any impact you know one way or the other on consumption and I mean even if you go back to prohibition era, you know making alcohol illegal didn't really put a dent in the overall consumption It just basically, dictate to who gets the money and whether it's government and legitimate business people and and there's a lot of great business people doing well with these kind of small businesses in Colorado. or we decide no, we're going to make it illegal and we're going to just give the money to to criminals.
0: Well see, I guess I just, I just with all due respect, I, I don't agree with your premise. Your premise is, that legalizing marijuana doesn't lead to increased usage, and I, I just that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, I gotta believe, for example, that there, there's people that maybe travel to Colorado who, under normal circumstances, would never consider smoking pot, but because it's legal there, they now decide that they're they're going to do it. I mean, I and, and I understand people still do pot regardless, but you, you really don't think that legalizing it leads to increased usage?
7: no i don't think substantially either way and and you know again it's hard to get hard evidence cuz yeah. don't know how much illegal activity takes place right um you know but i think that's you know the the social cost of the criminal element you know i think more than outweighs you know if there are kind of you know people that use and abuse are still going to use mm-hmm. you, you know it's like uh like alcohol if you made it illegal you know you and I might not go and have a, a drink after work right. but the hardcore alcoholics are still gonna drink so yep. you know I don't think legalization increases and maybe use does go up a little bit but I don't think the social cost goes up well that's I get I mean that's already embedded
0: well I guess I think I mean the problem is we don't know that It'll be interest. I, it will be interesting to see if you look at some of these states that are experimenting with this, ten years down the road. Have we, by legalizing marijuana, have we created another generation of, of potheads? And has the use gone up? I mean, again, maybe I'm completely wrong, but intuitively, it seems to me that by having by making something illegal, that at least discourages some consumption of the product and actually I think it probably discourages a lot of consumption and while marijuana isn't addictive in the same sense that, um, say, cocaine or heroin is addictive. I mean, you do have people, particularly with addictive personalities, who, who, number one, use it as a gateway drug, or, or number two, hey, you know, you you become that pothead. It kills the brain cells. It kills the ambition. And you you wake up, you know, 15 years after you start smoking pot, and you're still sitting in your underwear in mom's basement, digging hash brownie out of your ear, and you recognize, hey, today's the day that uh, my little niece graduates from law school. And I guess I just wonder whether or not that is something as a society that we want to encourage. I understand that prohibition did not work when it comes to alcohol, and I also understand that people can argue that marijuana is no worse than alcohol, but my question becomes, all right, given the social problems that we have with with alcohol, do we want to do something that's going to encourage more use of marijuana, which would then lead to more of those social problems? It's ten twenty four. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please call. This is Jeff Wagner. It's ten twenty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Um, Here the hometown call as the Bucks battle the Raptors in Toronto by being part of WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party. Join us tomorrow at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners as we cheer on our hometown team with the hometown radio call of Ted Davis echoing throughout the tavern. There's no better way to watch and listen to the Bucks beat the Raptors in Toronto, plus win some great prizes throughout the game. It's WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party. It's at the Bosch Tavern in Hills Corners, and it's tomorrow at 4.30, sponsored by Lincoln Contractor Supply and Rhino Shield. What got me started on this is uh, the Canadian government is pushing for legislation which would legalize marijuana. And because the government... It's sort of like the the Liberal Party in Canada is in control of Parliament. The Liberal Party wants this. It will happen. And what it says is that effective July 1st of 2018, marijuana will be legalized across the country starting at the age of 18. Provinces will have the ability to um, increase the age if they wanted to. But in a sense, marijuana will be legalized. We're talking about whether or not places like Wisconsin should do it. I say go, go slowly. Joan in Waukesha. Joan, you're in 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Joan.
6: I just want you to know I have to completely change my schedule around so I could run my errands in the morning and not in the afternoon <laughs> so I can listen to you. Well, but thank anyway. you,
0: Joan. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're calling, too. That's great.
6: <laughs> uh, I, I agree with you 100%, and I frankly do not want to see, I think, a, most of this society high.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, but I also feel that this is exactly like Conceal and Carry. We drug our feet on that, and we had to pick up the rear from every other state. And, and I frankly think it's going to be the same with this. Eventually, it's going to be legal, so let's, let's move on, I think. But, of course, it's going to have increased use, and that's my thought.
0: Well, no, and I think you're I mean, I, get, I see just intuitively, I, if you if you legalize something... Mm-hmm. Um, if you take away the, the, the taboo, more mm-hmm. people will do it. And I guess I'm just concerned with more people becoming potheads. I understand I mean, we have a problem now, but I don't know about you, but I don't want more potheads driving around. I don't want more potheads, you know, showing up that. at work.
6: I don't think I would. Because a lot of people I know, I don't want to see
0: that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, thanks for the call. And thank you for rearranging your schedule. to, uh, to Listen, I very much appreciate that. Let's um, let's see. John in Milwaukee. John, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
8: Hi, good morning. Hi, Am God. I on the air?
0: You're on the air, so don't say yeah, bad quick, words.
8: Oh, only good things, good things, good thoughts. couple of quick comments. Number one, the tax revenue is incredible. Mm-hmm. This is a state where we can't pay for our roads. This is a state where the university doesn't have money, where our schools need money. But most importantly, in a city like Milwaukee, where we sell beer in the parks, how in the world can you condone that? And underage drinking and drunk driving, take a look at the numbers.
0: Well, well I don't but I, who condones underage drinking and, and drunk driving? I guess the question is, if you legalize marijuana, is that going to lead to, uh, again, then, then more people drive, more kids smoking dope, or more kids drive, more people driving while they're high? I mean, if, if that's the pattern, we've got a problem with alcohol abuse, do you make the society's problems better by allowing another thing that's going to get people high and put them on the roads? I mean, is is that good policy?
8: You know what? I agree with you. We don't want impaired drivers. Number one, marijuana is not a gateway drug. So when you make the argument that do you want people using cocaine, do you want people using heroin, of course, we don't want that going on
0: out there. Well, see, some people disagree wanna... with you about whether it's a gateway wow. drug or not. Some people say no, but a lot of you talk to a lot of people who use, who got hooked on heroin or cocaine or methamphetamine, mm-hmm. and they will almost all tell you that they started with smoking pot.
8: You know what? As my father used to say, people, everyone has an opinion. That they're like, they're <laughs> like the belly button and the other end. But the important thing is, what is the
9: research? Huh.
0: Well, I mean, I, I guess I, when you say what, what does the research say? Well, that, that's that's what the research said. You can argue about what the term gateway drug means, but I, I'm I'm willing to bet, and I did this for a lot. I chased dope peddlers for a lot of years. I mean, is it possible that you have people that go that start off? Th- does everybody that smokes pot turn to cocaine or heroin or methamphetamine? No, of of course not. Of course not. But if you talk, I'm willing to bet. That if you go and you look at treatment centers and you talk to many, many people, the majority of people who have problems with cocaine or heroin or methamphetamine, and you ask, hey, did you start, you know, when, when you started doing drugs, you now how did you start? Now, they might say, okay, we, we raided mom and dad's, you know, medicine cabinet for pills. But I will tell you, my guess is a good number of those will say that they also started by smoking pot. Now, does that make it a gateway drug or not? Well, we can argue about terminology. But again, maybe this is inevitable. Maybe Joan is right. Maybe this is going to happen. But at the same time, I don't know that it's in society's interest to move it along. It's 10.37. Jeff Webber, 620. WTMJ reports are surfacing that fistfights inside schools might be on the rise. If it's true, what can the school districts do to crack down? Steve Scafidi says it's time for administrators to get tougher. He'll explain today at 12.35. I'm being bombarded with things. Oh, Jeff, you, you like to drink beer. So beer, beer is a beer is a gateway drug. Well, no, I don't think just because you drink beer that necessarily means that you're going to be doing heroin and cocaine. At least it certainly isn't true in my case. But the argument is, well, okay, this is. I mean, beer is no alcohol is no different than marijuana, um, and therefore, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you allow? Why do you allow alcohol, not marijuana? To which I would say two things. Okay, first of all, again, even if let us accept the premise that alcohol leads to various social ills, which it certainly does among a certain small subset of the people who who drink. All right, even if you accept that, my question becomes, if you agree with the premise that marijuana use will lead to a series of societal problems, whether a certain percentage is going to get high and go to work and create problems or get high and drive, or for a certain percentage it will turn out to be that gateway drug, why would we want to do anything that encourages the use of that? The second thing, and I have always seen this as a distinction between, say, marijuana and alcohol. Let us let us take beer, okay? You... While there are some people that drink beer with the intent of, I'm going to guzzle as much beer as I can to get drunk, right? I don't believe that that reflects the majority of people who use alcohol. You can go out and you can have a glass of wine at dinner or a glass of beer, and you can do it because you like the taste. You enjoy it. The wine pairs well with the food. You're not just drinking with the idea of getting yourself blotto. Some people, that's not how they approach drinking. I get it. But you can have that glass of wine. You can have that, that beer. You can like the taste of it. There is nobody that likes smoking marijuana. I mean, the, 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 re- the only reason you smoke marijuana is to get yourself high. There, there is nothing... Pleasant about, I mean, you know, for years and years we've been trying to say to people, okay, don't smoke because it's all carcinogenic. Get away from tobacco. Okay, the the act of smoking marijuana is not, in fact, a relaxing sort of thing. It's harsh. You know, it's, you are doing it solely to get high. There is no other purpose. I've in all the years, going back and I'm a child of the seventies, I've never known anybody who said, Boy, you know, I just want to smoke marijuana because I, I just it's it's really going to I, I like the feeling of ingesting that smoke into my lungs and holding it as long as possible. You are doing it solely for the purpose of altering your your mind. That that's the only reason you're doing it. Alcohol, I would argue that for the vast majority of people, you like I like the way a beer tastes, alright? Now, I mean, I guess I get it. If I sit there and I drink six or 12 of them, well, I'm probably going to be throwing up and passing out. But but regardless, I understand that for at least a subset of people, they're not going to be able to handle it. But at least I think for the majority of users, you can say, hey, I like the way a good bourbon tastes. I've developed that taste. I like the way a glass of wine tastes. I like the way a beer tastes. I'm going to have one. I'm going to be doing this because I think it complements the food or whatever pot, let's face it. If you are smoking pot, you are smoking it for one and only reason. You are trying to get high. But, reasonable people can disagree. Alright, this is another issue that is extremely controversial. There are a handful of states which allow terminally ill people to make the decision in consultation with a physician and under the supervision of the physician to end their lives. The uh, story that really caught my attention that was in the Chicago Tribune the other day, and I admit, um, over the last several years, I've thought a lot about this. What what do you do when you are faced with a diagnosis of a catastrophic, terminal illness? And I look, I I I believe in angels. I believe that there are miracles, but I also believe in medical science. And I I also understand for some illnesses, you reach a certain point where there's only so much that medical science can do. And there is this kind of reality that you are facing. Anyways, Here's the story of the Chicago Tribune. Five years ago, 64-year-old Ray Perman was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He was a designer and a consultant who lived in San Francisco. He had uh, sarcoma carcinoma, a rare and terminal cancer that affects only 20 pe- 200 people in the U.S. every year. He also had a common low-grade progressive prostate cancer, not unusual for men his age. The sarcoma caused a large, rapidly growing tumor to form in his prostate and nest against his colon. At the suggestion of his oncology team, he immediately underwent surgery to have his prostate bladder, numerous lymph nodes, and other flesh removed. So, he gets his diagnosis, he does what the doctors say. At the time of the surgery... A biopsy showed both forms of cancer had metastasized, spreading the cancer to other lymph-, lymph nodes. For a year, he and his doctor decided to wait instead of pursuing further cancer treatments. A year later, the cancer reappeared in the form of a 5-inch football-shaped, rapidly growing tumor in his lower abdomen. Uh, later, a 12-inch uh, other tumors developed. He was told he had 6 months to live. At the suggestion of his oncologist, again, following medical advice, he decided to try an unusual comet common- combination of two of the most powerful chemotherapy drugs available. They said, we don't think this is going to work but we'll give it a try. He decided to try it. The combination, he said, was so toxic, his legs swelled, his fingernails fell off, excessive bleeding and all sorts of other things. Really bad stuff. Um, He lost feeling and he had neuropathy so he lost feeling in his hands and his legs but the treatment worked. All right, so the, the treatment worked. His life was extended. All right, the cancer came back. The cancer came back. They repeated these really aggressive, really, really life-draining, quality-of-life-altering treatments, and the latest round of this heavily toxic stuff that worked you know, previously, it doesn't work anymore which is, I think, unfortunately, what a lot of people with extend, advanced cancer find. The stuff works for a while, and then the, the cancer is just such a vicious, evil thing that it figures out a ways around it. So the guys had operations where lots of stuff had been removed. He then signed up for all these heavy-duty treatments that made him feel like death itself, but it controlled the cancer for a little bit. He lived. Now the cancer is back. They've tried the second round of treatments. It no longer works. And what he says is, when it became obvious that this last gap treatment wasn't working, the side effects of the treatment were worse than the disease, and I only had a few months to live, I knew I had some decisions to make. And so... What he says is, I began to investigate the use of the California end-of-life option that went into effect in 2016 that authorizes medical aid in dying. Recent Gallup poll says almost 70% of Americans agree that when when a person has a disease that cannot be cured, doctors should be allowed to end the patient's life by painless means if the patient and his family request it. Most doctors agree. The survey of about 7,500 doctors says 57% agree that physician-assisted dying should be allowed for terminally ill patients. All right, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I know this is a difficult subject, but you know, if I was this guy, and I had done all these things, and I had explored all these different options, and now all the options were exhausted the only thing left was an inevitable death in a few months, and you know it's going to be painful, you know it's going to be debilitating, I think the man should have the right to make the decision to say enough is enough. He shouldn't be forced into that. But if if he makes the decision, I think he should have the right to decide how he wants to essentially end his life and if he makes that decision that hey I don't want to go through three or four or five more months of, of incredible suffering shouldn't he have the right to do that we discuss next four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line if you're on the line please hold on 1046 Jeff Wagner 620 wTMJ mm-hmm. It's 1049, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, how do you get Paul McCartney or the Stones to play your stage? What's the key to convincing some of the most famous musical acts in history to come to your town? We pull the curtain back on all the secrets of Summerfest when Don Smiley and Bob Babish join me for Insight 2017 next Wednesday night. That is April 19th. You don't want to miss this rare sit-down with two of the entertainment industry's heaviest hitters. Only a few tickets remain. Don't wait any longer. Get to WTMJ.com. Buy yours. We will see you Wednesday night. All right. In the last segment of this uh, show, I irritated a bunch of potheads or people who object to be calling potheads, even though they smoke marijuana regularly. All right. Here, now we're talking about the right to die. If you're faced with somebody, if you, Lord forbid, have this diagnosis or a loved one has a diagnosis that you've got this terminal illness, you've exhausted pretty much everything you can do medically. Should you have, under those circumstances, the right to ask a physician to help you make the choice to end your life? Andy on the west side. Andy, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ.
9: Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Andy. I am totally for, and not only should it be for people with terminal cancer and issues like that, it should even be to extenuating circumstances with Alzheimer's patients and other mental issues that are obviously incurable as of now. Uh, about two and a half years ago, my grandma died from complications with Alzheimer's. and well, She had Alzheimer's in a later stage. I don't know all the medical terminology, right. but she couldn't spell the last name that she had for the last 40 years of her life. She was starting to lose the ability to understand depth perception when walking. Uh, more than likely within six months to a year, she probably just would have had to have been strapped to a bed so she wouldn't have. So
0: she was not No quality. What you're saying is no quality of life at all.
9: Yeah, there was absolutely no quality. And my grandpa had already been resigned to have already essentially lost the love of his life of the last 40 years as well. And we were looking to get her into memory care units. But even then, yeah, again, she just would have been almost like an elderly grub worm.
0: Well, I mean, I guess. I, I. Well, I mean, Andy, I, I think you have to be careful. Go, going down this route and and part of the thing is it's a slippery slope i mean how how are people you know how is, is that going to be considered and so I'm, i i'm not willing to go as far as you are but i am willing to say that in in these cases where you you've exhausted everything and you you're just you're at the you're at the end game and you sit down with this doctor and the doctor says there is absolutely nothing more that we can we can do now i, I mean i understand that the alternative is all right, you can you can medicate people, you can give them morphine, you can give them whatever to try to make their passing as painless as possible. So, I mean, that's an option. And I'm not suggesting that this should be forced on people. But at the same time, uh, you know, if you're sitting there saying, okay, th- this is... These are my last two months, and my only choice, I am going to be in excruciating pain, and I'm going to, you know, lose any potential quality of life that I might have, and I've exhausted all these different types of things, and I'm of sound mind and unfortunately unsound body. I, I, if somebody wants to make that decision, I guess I just don't feel comfortable telling them that they can't. And who knows what decision that you would make, or I don't know what decision I would make if I was ever in that situation, and I hope I, I never am, but if you've ever seen you know, a loved one have to deal with this type of stuff or deal with you know, the end stage of a terminal cancer situation, you think about these things. Um, Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Good morning, Jeff. Uh, great topic. Uh, two points that I have is, you know, we're talking about cancer, but I do agree with the previous caller with the Alzheimer's, because that can be horrible, too. And with the cancer guy, if he chose not to go the route with all these different treatments, he would have been dead long ago, and he had that choice. So he could have said, I'm going to forego any of that, and I'm going to let nature take his course, and he would already be dead. And all of us have a choice every day whether we want to live or die. And if somebody wanted to kill themselves instead of, going to a doctor, that person could shoot themselves, they could hang themselves, there's a number of ways that you could kill yourself, that would be horrific for the family, the aftermath of that tragedy, so why couldn't a person like that that says, I am an adult, I'm making a decision, and I want to end it in a controlled environment with a physician, as Mm -hmm. opposed to, if you're not going to let me do this, I'm going to kill myself and blow my brains out anyhow.
0: Right. Well, so and, and do it, you, you do questions. it in consultation. I mean, and, and these aren't done just in a vacuum. This is done, the physician assistance in this regard, in order to qualify for it, you, you've got to meet with psychologists. You've got, I mean, there, there's panels of doctors that review right. these things because, I mean, I do understand that, okay, if you've got somebody that's got a diagnosis of a terminal illness, th- there's going to be depression that sinks in. I mean, obviously, you're... You, you, you're not going to necessarily be completely thinking clearly. So you want to make sure right. that somebody doesn't make a rash decision. But especially in these extreme cases, my, you know, my, my goodness, how can you criticize this guy? He knows what he's going to be looking at for the next few weeks or you know month or two of his life. He knows what his quality of life is going to be. Who are we to tell him, no, you can't do that?
2: Exactly. And, and if you tell him, no, he could do it anyhow.
0: Right. When right. you
2: think about it, so why not let him do it? Controlled with the help of a physician, absolutely.
0: Um, thanks for the call. I pre- and it, it, look, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a very, you know, difficult. Situation. Um, I have an email from one of our listeners. My grandfather just passed away in February. He lived with dementia for the past 15 years. He was in a nursing home the entire time. In the final week or two in the hospice, he was in rough shape. It made me wonder, why couldn't we just put him to sleep at some point? We knew he was going to pass. Why make him suffer? He was 85 years old. Even if he didn't pass, his quality of life just wasn't there. Why not humanely let him go? I mean th- those I guess those are those are the issues and and hopefully none of us are ever going to have to confront it in this particular fashion I hope to go peacefully in my sleep you know well into my 90s completely and totally healthy, healthy after playing 18 holes of golf that's that is my hope now I don't know that I don't know the good lord's going to give me that choice but that that is my hope to never have to confront this issue but I I guess I, I once you have exhausted everything that medical science has to offer, is it humane to allow you to make the decision to, well, die with dignity? It is 1056, this is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, we've got the WTMJ Week in Review coming up in about a half hour, but before that, alright, is, is the logo racist? We'll discuss 1056, Jeff Wagner. 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I mentioned earlier this week that after months and months and months of dithering and thinking about it, I, I finally pulled the trigger and, and bought an, a new automobile. I I used to have a. I've been For years and years, I've been driving... To, it's been a 2010 Ford Escape that I bought at the end of 2009. Great car. Had uh, lots of miles on it. it served me very well. Um, but I, I ended up having Gadget Envy because all my friends and acquaintances everybody had had newer cars that had all these bells and whistles on them and I was telling the story earlier this week I just I kind of missed the bells and whistles so the new vehicle I bought it has got all the bells and whistles it's got all the different things you can plug in you can play music through your mp3 player and y- yesterday I was driving um, I was driving up to West Bend and I, it was first time I really got a chance to use the cruise control it's really cruise c- cool cruise control you put it on and it automatically senses when you're getting clo- co- closer to cars in front of you so it automatically 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 slows down so if you set it at 72 or whatever and there's a lot of traffic it automatically slows down to 65 you don't have to take the cruise control off and then once the traffic lets up it automatically goes back to you know what you have it set. it's all sorts of cool little features like that and i'm sure i have only begun to scratch the surface but this car is my daily driver it's going to be the one i I use you know to most of the times to get me back and forth to work it's it's just it is the it's going to be my, my basic you know, vehicle. I, you know, I it might be excessive, but I, I, I do I We'll have a second car to just kind of play with, the fun car. But but this is the daily driver. Well, I, I've been looking for my daily driver for several months, the car that I'm going to use on a regular basis. And I was considering a number of different, you know, makes and models and things like that, and I ultimately settled on the one I ended up getting. But one of the things that I, that I knew is for my daily driver, the car I ride on a regular basis, I say car. I wanted an SUV. I I have for my main vehicle. I mean the last one, two, three. This is the fourth one. It, it's been an SUV. I mean I started out with a Ford Explorer back in the nineties. Had a Ford Escape. Had another Ford Escape. And, and now I, I have my my current you know vehicle. But I was looking at SUVs. Now, a few months ago, um, for a fun car, I was out there test driving a sedan, and I, I was I was saying, "Hey, you know, this this is a great car. Is this your best seller?" And the guy was saying, "Well, no, um, you know, by by far and away, we sell most we sell mostly SUVs." Now, I found that to be interesting, but not unusual. So far, so far this year, the first three months, pickup trucks and SUVs have accounted for. Get this, about 62% of all new vehicles sold in the United States. So for all the people that are buying cars in the first three and a half months of this year, more than six out of ten are either purchasing SUVs or they're purchasing pickup trucks. Last year, again, if you want to compare apples to apples, first quarter of last year, Fifty-seven percent of all new car purchasers purchased either pickup trucks or, or SUVs. So it's up. But whether you want to look at sixty-two or fifty-seven percent, it's still a staggering number of people who are buying, you know, SUVs. That's now the vehicle of choice. And um, smaller cars. Well. I mean, smaller cars, the, the bottom is really falling out uh, of the market. Now, the manufacturers make smaller cars because you need that gas mileage to kind of, you need the gas mileage that they offer to meet like the federal overall gas mileage standards that are required. But in general, many, many people are voting with their pocketbooks and they are choosing SUVs. alright seven nine nine one six twenty. that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In my case, I have to admit, for the daily driver, the car I am going to be driving on a regular basis, I never really even seriously considered anything other than an SUV. I I wanted the larger car. I'm 6'1". I like to, you know, it gives me a little bit more room. I like to sit up a little bit higher above the ground. Um, I, I mean, I really noticed the difference between that and, and the other car I have. It's just... Everything about the SUV is appealing to me, and again, I never really, for the car I'm going to drive on a regular basis, the vehicle I'm going to drive on a regular basis, I didn't consider anything other than the SUV, and it appears that if you lump SUVs in with the pickup trucks, that that's where the vast majority of Americans are. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's have a discussion of, of why that is. I, I've been trying to think of the, the various things. Now, the auto manufacturers love this because the, the SUVs tend to be more expensive than your, your typical you know, coupe or your typical sedan. So they tend to be more expensive. The markups tend to be higher. And yet you talk to a lot of these manufacturers, and for some of the new SUVs, they can't keep them in stock. I mean, they get them in, they're sold in two or three days. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. I think I know why I have this fascination with the SUVs, but, but how about you? I mean, is this a trend that is here to stay? Why is it, why is it that we want these SUVs, and do you fit into that category? Or is this going to just be a blip, and two or three years from now, everybody's going to want the small, really um, gas-efficient vehicles? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1114, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This has certainly been my experience. There's a big story in the New York Times today. Bigger, faster, and more lavish Americans crave SUVs and car makers oblige. For the first quarter of this year, 62% of the new vehicles sold in the United States, 62% are either SUVs or pickup trucks. Um, what's going on? And that I have to tell you, that was my experience. I bought a new car last week. I absolutely love it. People are asking what it is. I got a um, Honda C R V. Um so I I've, I've been driving escapes. I like the escapes. Um I was looking at a couple. Just um I'm very happy with my Honda CR-V EXL with navigation. Let's talk to Katie in Burlington. Katie, you're in six twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
10: Good morning. I, I think the trend they're seeing in cars is the same thing you see in homes. It's just the bigger the better the more lavish it's a showpiece it's a reflection of i think how successful you are how stylish you are how tech savvy you are um and it it, cars mean a lot to people it's a status symbol um
0: do you think it's a bubble is it going to is this going to burst or is this going to be a long range trend
10: you know i'm not quite sure because i see it among A lot of different demographics. I see people who I think by necessity need the room because they have three or four kids and they're lugging stuff. Then I see people, I mean, I just had a friend buy one and I had to have this room. And I'm like, you have no children. (laughs) So, you know, me, I bought a car two years ago. I have two two children. I went back to the Nissan Sentra that I had before I had children. And that would be an out of vogue car. I mean, it's small, it's a sedan. I love it. I, I don't need all that. I need a car that's safe, easy to work on, and inexpensive. But SUVs tend to cost more, yep. and you've got a bigger payment. And I'm sure there are very few people driving them out there that paid them off. I was able to pay off my Nissan because pay for basically cash because I went smaller. I just didn't need the right. bells and whistles. That's just the way I operate. But
0: yeah, I, but I tell know. you, I got to tell you, Katie. Right. Once you get those bells and whistles, it's tough to go back. <laughs>
10: I'm afraid they distract me too much. I mean, this car is a sunroof. That's
0: enough of a bell. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no I, 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 get I, I do understand. That was at the. the I told the story the other day. The woman I'm dating. She says, "Okay, you have to make this deal with me. You know, I, I I know you love this car, but you've got all these different bells and whistles. And please, don't die on the highway. Just you've got to promise me. You've got to promise me that if there's something you are trying to figure out." Um, and, and the way the way that my car works now is most of the stuff you can do from the steering wheel. You actually you don't have to leave. But I don't know how to do two thirds of it. She's like, okay, you've got to promise me that you're you're not going to you're not going to be fiddling this with this when the car is moving. If you absolutely have to figure out so- how something works, for goodness sakes, please pull over and do that. And so I have I have made that promise and I've I've kept the promise mostly on that. But yeah, it, it, you got the bells and whistles. I see I mean I don't know I don't necessarily think of an SUV as a, as a status thing I mean I still think of I, m- I mean I guess i I still think of some of the other you know you're talking about Cadillac that's kind of like the the status thing to me to me it wasn't for status it was just i I do like a little bit of the room I feel safer in the vehicle it has a solid feel about it and um I don't know. It's not necessarily. I don't know that I think of it as status. I actually, like I said, I like to sit higher up. I mean, I, I think I get better visibility, but that's um, that's just me. But what's going on? Let's talk to Greg and Oshkosh. Greg, you're on six hundred and twenty WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How hey, you Greg. doing? Real well, thank you. I'm thrilled with my new car. I, I'm, but I, I've been driving, driving SUVs. Oh so, gosh, for going on twenty years now, and I don't think I'd go back for a daily driver.
5: Well, you know that it's very it's very simple. What this comes down to is more bang for your buck. Um, I've noticed over the years that when I buy trucks, when I resell them, the depreciation value yeah. is is there, and SUVs is there, but when I buy cars, they depreciate so much more. Yeah.
2: And it it,
5: it basically comes down to you're you're getting more for your
7: your value of your dollar.
0: I was – it's funny you should mention that. I was amazed at how much I got. And I I wasn't – I didn't – I mean, I could have probably gotten more if I just tried to sell my car, you know, independently as opposed to trading it in. But I just didn't want to fool with that. I was – I went back and I looked at how much I had paid for the vehicle I traded in when I bought it in 2009, and how much I got in a trade in, and I, I see what you're talking about, Craig. I was amazed at how how much that that it held its value. I was like, oh, that's that's it, it. You know, I mean, obviously there was depreciation. The car is eight years old with eighty some thousand miles on it, but I was amazed at how well it held its value.
5: Yeah, and 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 I've noticed that when I've when I've traded in cars, I'm like regular cars, like sedans or whatever, or smaller cars. I'm like. Boy, they're not really giving me too much here, right? You know? And when I traded in a truck or a SUV on something, I, I got a lot more. And I, I, I think it, it 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 boils down to you're getting more bang yeah. for your buck, your dollar, your value is
0: there. Well, you know? I mean, it certainly, I mean, thank, and again, this it part of the other thing that's going on is that gas prices continue to be affordable. I, I think. I think for the longest time we have had, we as Americans have had a love affair with like the the larger type of vehicles. There was a period of time, you know, when gas was pushing four bucks a gallon, where it just, you know, it it didn't make financial sense for a lot of people. You wanted to, you wanted the more energy efficient cars, and that was the, you know, that was the big thing. I mean, right now. Um, A lot of, with the exception of Tesla, a lot of the, you know, hybrid cars, the the Priuses, those things in the world, they're they're very much out of favor right now because I think people want the bigger cars. And as long as gas prices end up being reasonable, you know, as long as gas prices are under $3 a gallon, people figure, okay, well, I'm going to give up a little bit of gas mileage, but I'm going to get all this other stuff that's out there, so they end up, um, that's the way they go. Andrew in Cudahy. Andrew, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I am well, thank you. What do you think?
8: Excellent. I switched to a uh, drive a Cadillac outside, and I love it. I won't ever go back to the car again.
0: Right. <laughs> and why, did you, why did you go that route?
8: Well, we wanted to start camping, so we yeah. bought an RV trailer, so I needed a vehicle
0: large enough to be able to tow it. Right, right. Yeah, and it's just once you get in it, it's just it's it's just tough. No, I mean thanks. That's and again, it's it's for different choices. But I guess I was just stunned. One of the reasons I brought it up is it's just. I mean, again, I didn't even consider, you know, for the daily driver. uh, If if I end up replacing my second car and getting another one, it's going to be a car. It's going to be a sedan or something like that. I'm not going to have two SUVs. But for the daily driver, the car I, I putter around in, this is this is what the vehicle is going to be, and. At least I'm in good company because 62% of new car buyers are in that same boat. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, we've got the week in review. Before that, we've got uh, we've got an interview with the winner of our Follow the Brewers contest for this week. So stick around. It's 11:25. Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ. It's 1127, Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ, three for three. The Brewers look to stay perfect on the road. Wow. As they continue their series in Cincinnati, Jeff and Lane begin our game day coverage of Brewers Reds tonight at 535 here on WTMJ. Alright, this is the second week that we have been running our Follow the Brewers contest. What happens is you listen to the program about 910 every morning. For your chance to be our daily winner, if you're the correct caller, you get a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play a game at Miller Park. And then what we do is, every Friday, we take our five daily winners, we randomly draw one of those names, and they get a chance to follow the Brewers on the road. Uh, This week, it's a road trip to Chicago, and we have our winner, and here's the conversation with him. Hey, John. Doug Russell calling from WTMJ. How are you today?
2: Uh, great. Yourself? Good. Um, we've got a couple tickets for you for the Brewers-Cubs game on May 20th. If you are uh, interested, you're a winner on Jeff Wagner's Follow the Brewers.
8: Wow, awesome. That's, that's huge. Very cool. <laughs> Have you been down to yeah. Wrigley Field recently? Uh, I know. I was down there um, last year once.
2: Okay. Yep. They've done some renovations, so... Uh, Apparently, oh, yeah. yeah, it looks uh, it looks a lot. fantastic. Uh, Jeff yeah. Wagner's Follow the Brewer, sponsored by West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles & Company, in 620 WTMJ. The game is on May 20th. We've got all the accommodations uh, set for you. Do you know who you're going to take?
8: Uh, geez, I'll have, to, I'll have to think about it. it well, now you're like going to have some Canada friends.
2: Uh, you know, what? I don't know what the day of the week it is, but you will. I, I think it is. I think it is, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, as well. So you'll have some friends coming out of the woodwork wanting to go down to the oh, game. Oh,
8: absolutely. Well, Obviously. <laughs> I appreciate it. We are a huge, huge Brewers fan. Uh, they won again last night, three in a row? Yep, absolutely.
0: So that's our weekly winner, John. I, I always love it. You say, okay, who are you going to take with you? You can, you can tell when you're talking to people who are probably single as opposed to married folks. Because if it's a married folk or married person, obviously they're going to be, well, first choice is my, my spouse. and. Then second choice would be kind of everybody else. But again, keep listening. We're going to be doing this for the next few weeks, at least. Um, it is follow the brewers. You listen at nine ten every morning, approximately, right after we finish the nine o'clock news. Um, somebody is our daily winner, and then every Friday we pick somebody to send to follow the brewers on the road. Very very cool. And I do I appreciate our sponsors, Noodles and Company and West Bend, the Silver Lining for uh, getting on board and allowing us to do this and give you your opportunity to follow brewers and like i say brewers back to 500 five and five three wins in a row on the road um starting to play some really really good baseball and hopefully they will be able to keep it up all right coming up in just a couple minutes it's that time um it is our week in review we will be live streaming our program on facebook live so if you go to facebook.com 620 wtmj you can watch us in the studio. Didn't dress up for it today. Didn't dress up for it today. I've been wearing a suit and tie all week, and today I'm in honor of the Brewers' three wins in a row. I'm in my Brewers sweatshirt. But stick around. Facebook Live. We're live streaming it. The weekend Review is coming up. It's 11.35. Jeff Wagner, Super 620 Super. 620 WTMJ. Um, hear the hometown call as the Bucks battle the Raptors in Toronto. By being part of WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party, join us tomorrow at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners as we cheer on our hometown team with the hometown radio call of Ted Davis echoing throughout the tavern. There's no better way to watch and listen to the Bucks beat the Raptors in Toronto. Plus. Win some great prizes throughout the game. It's WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners tomorrow at 4.30. Sponsored by Lincoln Contractor Supply and Rhino Shield. It is that time of the week. I am the thorn between the two roses. Joined for our week in review, Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Happy Easter.
11: Happy Easter and Passover.
0: And... Susie Falk from Falk Group PR, hello.
11: Hello, and happy Milwaukee Day for 14. All
0: right, I have been waiting all week to discuss a couple of these issues with you. The The dominant story, of course, this week goes back to, to last Sunday, a sh- flight from Chicago to Louisville. At, originally, the reports were it was overbooked. That turns out not to be the case. What happened is United Airlines wanted to make room on the plane for... A flight crew. So what they did is, after offering incentives didn't work, they just started randomly designating people to leave the plane. Three people got off and left. Fourth, a 69-year-old year doctor said, Hey, I can't get off. i got to see patients the next day. I'm not leaving. And then, next thing you know, aviation police come on. He is being physically dragged off. Apparently he lost a couple teeth. He's bleeding the, initially, the CEO of United Airlines comes out and says, "We did nothing wrong. We followed procedures." United stock stock starts to plummet. Um, now they're they're reassessing. Okay, Susie Falk, you you handle PR mm-hmm. crises for a living. How did United? How did they handle this?
11: Uh, horribly. It couldn't have gone any worse. You know, it's almost like they forgot that cell phones have technology that include cameras and, and that, you know, we really do live in this sort of world platform where at any p- moment something crazy could get videotaped and go out there and and the world is looking at you and so just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong the apology you know that the ceo delivered uh, you know what almost 24 hours after the event was not sincere um he was deflecting he was very cold and callous in the what you want to maybe call an apology So then the next response he had was, well, that goes viral. So then the next response is to the employees. And in that email to employees, he says, well, you know it wasn't our fault it was the passengers and he was belligerent which he wasn't if you've seen the videos by this until they started to have. pull
0: him out physically and yeah. when, when, once they started to get physical sure. and drag him out yeah sure
11: well then that email you know there's always going to be an employee that's going to send it somewhere to the local paper wherever that goes video and so now the this, this ceo is is trying to offer an apology he does another lame job and by day three of the story or day two and a half he finally delivers the heartfelt apology which should have come out in the first How you know, eight United hours. How could you
0: be so tone deaf? I mean I, okay you're the I mean we're not someone we're was not done, talking yeah. of, right we're not talking about some, you know, little mom and pop mm-hmm. restaurant or something where you have an issue. We're talking about United. How could they have been so tone deaf is to not understand what issue they were dealing with.
11: Uh, the only thing I can think of is that their chief PR person who counsels the CEO was on spring break and not available. <laughs> I, I honestly don't have a good excuse for this. Now, now I think you know their stock has slipped. They've lost millions of dollars, however much. They can recover. Americans, you know, most people have a very short-term memory, especially when it comes Mm -hmm. to products and service. And if United plays its cards right, it'll offer incredible service. It'll give away stuff, including maybe food on planes. People within a year will be flying United, and their stock will be fine.
0: Um, Tracy Johnson, did United mishandle this? I,
12: I, if you would have asked me this right after it happened, I would have a different answer. But in light of all the facts, mm-hmm. in light of everything that I know, I actually think it's turning out to be a, a, a good case study and a good opportunity for United to, to, to stand behind their employees. They stand, They stood behind their employees to deliver good customer service. I think they're going to you know, continue to, to highlight that.
0: I don't understand a thing you just said. What do you mean what do you mean good customer that you you have a guy who... this was is,
12: the Chicago this w- this was a municipality uh, security force that that took these people off the plane
0: but it's the direction of the United I forces. think
12: the real question though is the use of force this guy should have gotten off the plane and if somebody who's in a position of authority asks you to do that uh, you need to you're going to blame comply. the passenger. I'm, I'm going to blame the passenger.
3: Ooh.
0: Yeah. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I have In to, light I,
12: of everything I know, why did, why did every single other person that was offered this... Because they were sheep. Because they, they were sheep. Yeah, they were sheep. You don't resist. Oh, why do you resist? No, be, well, okay. This is what you're going right. to run into.
0: The, well, okay. And, so and, but you're, I think you're you're gonna, they use the get force. The, they they shouldn't the have used the crap beat out of you by a security guy because you've got a ticket. I
12: don't think they should have used this much force. But here's the deal this is a company and yeah. they have this this was a rule of the company not to beat the, the heck out of people but I think this shows a point that they are
0: oh, okay right, Tracy now look you're a business person Yes. you travel all right tr- put yourself I'm trying to imagine this let us say you have purchased a ticket right for a flight mm-hmm. you have to be all right you're you're coming back from Las Vegas yeah okay you you have purchased a ticket months in advance you have an important business meeting in Milwaukee at eight o'clock the next morning.
12: This has happened to you.
0: You are sitting on the plane. You're on the plane. It's not weather delayed. You are in your seat, mm-hmm. and somebody comes up and says, "You have to leave your seat." You mean to tell me you're just going to get up and go?
12: But I had the chance to take that offer, uh, yeah. and this has happened. This has happened to me. It made me very mad. But uh, you've you been know-
0: you've been involuntarily bumped.
12: Yes. I've been involuntarily bumped from a plane, and it's, it, I mean, you're, you're offered the money. You know the risk when you go into it. I think the circumstances, though, are, I, I think this has more to do with their use of force than it has to do with the policy, because they say, oh, we're going to re examine our policy and overbooking and how we handle our flight attendants, but I think they're, they're not going to change. Okay, the company.
11: I'm sorry, but the customer is always right. And so I think the CEO of United missed a big opportunity to distance himself, the company. I just think
12: it's easy to this. pile on. And I think we know a lot more about the situation. Sure. But w- the more you know, the worse day. it gets. I, no, no, no. The no, more, no, see, United, the more here's what I United.
0: No, see, here's what United could have done. United, if, if, if instead of being cheap, Okay, so they offer $800 in flight coupons that you fly United. If they had gone on and offered $1,500 in cash, say, I have no doubt that four people would have voluntarily taken it. So for four times, you know, $1,500. But they're offering $800 in flight coupons. Okay. But but okay, but you offer enough. Okay, so for six grand, people go away happy, and you don't have this, this story. I mean, I guess I just have issues with if you're. If I bought a ticket, if I purchased a ticket and I'm sitting in that seat, for but them to tell me they're going to bump me because they want to send some flight attendant to get there the next day, I, I understand why the guy was upset and I understand why he didn't want to get out of the seat.
12: Well, I, I mean, I, I I don't know how you solve this except to, I mean... Well, maybe you don't double a- sell seats. Well then, you're going to have to pay more as a consumer to make sure that you have a, a ticket where you can't get bumped. I think one of the things that I learned in all of this is that you got to get there early. I'm always that last person that checks in, and that's part of the problem. Is that you know you you miss flights, you you, you know which causes there to be empty seats. That's why they overbook and oversell. So I learned a lot from this whole thing. And
0: I, you I still want after this conversation, you still want to blame the passenger?
12: Uh, you know what? He he should have adhered to the the authorities and i think everybody else in the situation would have done that i You know, I think there's a lot more still to be learned, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for United.
11: And here's the deal: it's really easy to pile on. I'm trying to bring new information. They deserve to be piled
0: on, I think, Uh,
11: Susie. Well, you know, I mean, lessons learned for sure. I I do think that United's going to have a huge lawsuit on its hands. Oh yeah. Okay, so they're trying to buy out passengers right now. You know, we'll refund (laughs) your plane, the cost of your plane ticket, if you settle with us right now. You know what? I was listening to some of the passengers being interviewed last night on the news, and they are not going to. They're not going to go for that deal. Well, what does this so, do for all the other airlines? I mean, people are well, to it makes be on them re- ground now. Well, it
0: makes them, but it, I guess it makes them rethink their overbooking over- procedures. To right. Well, well, and don't let people, and then don't let first of all, don't let people on the plane if you're going to toss them off. That's, that's, that's fair. I, I do not understand mm. why you'd let. I mean, because that that just made the thing worse. That's fair. And then don't call the cops and have them get physical and drag the guy off. Um, we've got a lot more coming up. It's 11:44. You're listening to the Week in Review. I'm Jeff Wagner with Susie Fawkes and Tracy Johnson. Stick around. It's 1148. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Week in Review. Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk. Issue number two. uh, The Bucks are in the process of selling suites in their new arena. Now, the Bradley Center originally opened up with 68 suites and... A good portion of them went unsold after the initial sales. They've cut it down. The Bucks are hoping to sell 34 suites, and they say they've sold up 28 of them at a cost of somewhere between $200,000 and $300,000. Who's buying these things, and is there really enough interest to make this go? Susie Falk.
11: Uh, not my friends, but.
0: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you mean Falk Group PR isn't is in uh, for the, the suite?
11: No. You know what? Uh, the Bucks are hot. And the arena is looking beautiful, and they're doing a great job of marketing the Bucks and the excitement and what is to come. And um, Milwaukeeans have there are very many deep-pocketed Milwaukeeans who are very proud of their city. And uh, this is a great way to entertain clients, to win new business. It's you know, I'll be curious to see the uh, list. I guess I'm just because I'm trying to
0: run through the list of. A, a big corporate i mean that that's an that's a that's a heck yeah. of an investment well yeah. it's,
12: i bet it's 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 new people and it's probably some existing clients and yeah. i bet there's some partnering up sure. i mean the difference with these suites is that you not only get bucks games but you get Marquette games you get right. family events mm-hmm. so i think there's a lot of opportunity to mm-hmm. kind of parse this out not only that but it's my understanding that you have access to the suite all year so it's basically mm-hmm. an extension of your of your office, your, of your office. so you can yep. entertain clients from out of town mm-hmm. yep. so uh, you know, I don't know who these people are, but this is set I'd up like, like a multi-year them. lease. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, ten years, is my understanding. Years, yeah. is that, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the the other thing is, they're I think they're smart because they're selling a lot. The Bradley Center opened up with 68, mm-hmm. and then 68 suites. And then what happened was, after the original ten-year term, a lot of places just didn't renew right. for whatever was going on. The, the bucks, it's thirty-four. I mean, it's thirty-four suites, and I think they have these mm-hmm. loft things too. I'm not yeah. exactly mm-hmm. sure what they are, but it, it's a much more it's a much more modest target as far as the number that they're trying to sell. Because I'm just thinking about all the different companies that have left this area. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just seriously wondering how many companies that are out there that can afford a quarter million dollars just. For, for that function.
12: Well, uh, but, I, but I think, again, what you're going to see, and once that list comes out, you're going to see people partnering up, and it's not just about the sales and marketing of the suite, and I, I think it's more about how they're investing and integrating in the community, and I've, you just have seen this for the last 18 months, since the Bucks have really started to, to, to draw out these plans, so I, I just, I think it's, you're going to see the people who are working on the arena, you're going to see, you know, a lot of the partners in town, out of town, I mean, these investors and the ownership are mm-hmm. are not from here, so maybe Maybe we'll see some of that influence as well. Okay,
0: a related question. Um, obviously, there's a lot of plans for an entertainment district around the new arena. The big question that I have is, I have no doubt that, that it's going to succeed with like the bars and restaurants, is it going to be bringing new people in, or is it going to cannibalize existing business? You know, you've got all those businesses right now along Old World 3rd Street, for example. It, 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 are the people... Are new people going to come in, or are they just going to migrate from Old World 3rd Street to the new area?
12: I think you're going to have, the, the pie is going to get bigger. I think that's the idea, is that the pie is going to get bigger. They're making it more accessible. Um, they've got the buy-in from all those businesses around it. I mean, those businesses around it would, would have been up in arms mm-hmm. if it weren't for the fact that, you know, they were, there are some partnerships. I think you're going to see some of those businesses actually having locations within the, the live block or within the arena. And so mm-hmm. you've got some of that um the, the trade-off there but I, I actually think they're going to be bringing more people in and they're going to do a great job uh... with information about parking and you know I, trying to make it more accessible
11: anecdotally i have friends who have either left milwaukee or went to school here left milwaukee have come back and they, we hear from so many of our network of folks that are in Chicago and elsewhere that they come to Milwaukee now <laughs> to hang out, to see new things. There's this buzz that's created, and, and, and it's become a destination city. I think it's fantastic. So people are making a trek from different cities to come and hang out with us. And, and, le- and now if we can
12: figure out this convention thing to get mm-hmm. more,
11: uh, more conventions
12: here, mm-hmm. it's just going to all play right into, right into this whole plan.
0: Well, I was hoping I was going to hear that either Commercial Association of Realtors or Falk Group PR was buying one of those suites and, you know, no, there was like a standing but, option for me to use tickets.
11: But whoever you are that have made that purchase, please donate back those suites for auctions. I'm trying, no, seriously, I'm soliciting <laughs> well, for free auctions right okay. now. Call me. Okay. It's
0: 1153. We're back with our Right Stuff Awards. Stick around. Susie Falk begging for <laughs> solicitations. Tracy Johnson. I'm Jeff Wagner. It's 1153. You're listening to 620 WTMJ. It's eleven fifty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Tracy Johnson, making friends with your on our text line with the uh, (laughs) with the United Airlines approach.
12: Trying to get a dialogue going.
0: Well, you got that established. Um, All right, this is our Right Stuff Awards: individuals, entities, institutions that deserve an Attaboy. Tracy, we'll let you go first this week.
12: My Right Stuff Award goes to the CEO uh, of Discovery World, and that's Joel Brennan. Um, I think they made an outstanding announcement this week about an expansion plan for uh discovery world and they're also going to be making the the exhibits more accessible to the community playing with some of the pricing i think the really impressive piece about this is that this is done the, the money that's being raised is privately uh private funding um and i think they're doing an outstanding job they're trying to make uh it more accessible to the community he gets my right stuff awards keep on rocking
0: suzy falk yep
11: So um, my right stuff award goes to the Milwaukee Rep Theater and Sherwood High School for turning out and supporting the theater program at UWM. Um, As everybody, I think, knows, UWM suffered a tragedy when the theater, much of the production area, went up in smokes and a horrible fire. And um, Honestly, we didn't think the show would go on, but the show is going on thanks to the Rep Shorewood alumni who've come out to help, the community who've come out to help and clean up, and if you are interested in seeing the show, uh, the Steinkey Theater through the Rep is going to be hosting it uh, in early May. You can get your tickets through the Steimke box office. I'm so excited for the theater students Who get to actually, to you know, show people what they can do in the world of theater, and for the theater community to come together like that was incredible.
0: And my right stuff award goes to um, well the hundred to one hundred and fifty law enforcement officials, federal, state, and local. The part of the task force that was supposed to be looking for this fugitive, Joseph Jakubowski, who was arrested early this morning. Um, This was a situation where you had a large portion of the state that was essentially terrorized. You had schools that were under lockdown. There were questions about what was going to happen this Easter. And uh, earlier this morning, thanks to a tip from a citizen, vigilant action by, again, federal, state, and local uh, law enforcement officers have now arrested this guy. He will be brought to justice, and the community in general is safer. And it's just a credit to law enforcement for that. So the um, the task force gets my right stuff award. Thank you, ladies. We'll see you next Friday. Scafidi and Bilstadt is coming up in just a couple minutes. Have a very happy Easter. I'll talk to you Monday morning at 830. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1159.